Hello and welcome to the second episode of Sticks in the Six. I'm here with Peter Barracchini and uh, I'm Andrew Forbes. And uh, again, Peter, another uh, big week for the Leafs. Uh, not exactly in the, the good way, but, um, you know, we, we talked about it before Game 5. And uh, once again, um, the Leafs aren't in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. But let's get to a few other things first. How are you today, Peter? Uh, I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I mean, again, uh, when we started this podcast last week, I was really excited. I'm really looking forward to what episode two brings. So, um, yeah, I'm just really excited to again to be on board to be doing this with you, and I'm still looking forward to what we have content wise for this episode because we really got a lot to talk about, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same for future episodes to come yeah so before we jump into the leaves which uh you know we've got like you said we've got a lot to talk about um just to get to a few hockey notes i guess around from the uh from the world of hockey um mm-hmm. first off dan Hughes retired uh yeah. drafted 12th overall in 2001 by nashville he played 16 seasons uh with nashville vancouver dallas and returned to nashville at the end of his career um, Ham Hughes had a career high 38 points in 2005-2006, his second year in the league, and um, you know he was a part of that that, that Vancouver team that uh, made a push in in 2010-11. Um, maybe maybe more underrated for his play, I think uh, mm-hmm. Ham Hughes uh, definitely was that kind of stay at home defenseman that uh, offered up a lot uh, in terms of uh, defensive coverage. Um, you know what what do you think about uh, you know the career that he had? I, for the longest time, I've always wanted Toronto to go after a defenseman like Dan Hanhuse. I mean, there was so much to like about how he shut things down um, in his own zone, um, got involved with the offense quite a bit. He had a career, uh, as you mentioned, a career high 37 points in 2011-2012. Sorry, um, that was the second most, 38 in 05-06. Little, little blunder there, but that's all right. I mean, he's still... <laughs> still capable of like you know being an assist machine um i like he was just someone that i really thought that would have thrived in toronto system and that was his moniker for his whole entire career and i'm really happy that he had a really successful career and just wish him nothing but the best yeah i think uh, i think he took a lot of heat uh later on in vancouver just in terms of you know the 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 contract that he had signed and and what they had ex- what the expectations were from him as a canuck and i just you know for a guy like him he would have been a great second third pairing in toronto um i think the problem is now in 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 especially with the way that social media is mm-hmm. just those big hub cities um, you know, you, you take a lot of flack and I think that's what happened in Vancouver. Um, yeah. and that's why you saw him kind of leave, go back to Nashville and, and, uh, try and close out his career on a good note. And I, I, I truly believe like, I'm not saying he's a top end defenseman, but he, he definitely was underrated for what he brought to the game. And, uh, you know, like you said, nothing but the best for, for Dan Hamuse and, uh, hopefully he enjoys retirement and, and mm-hmm. sticks, sticks around in the game of hockey. For sure. I, w- I would love to see him either one or two things, either coach in the National Hockey League or take on what Kevin BX is doing right now and see him as an analyst, because I would love to hear his insights on what he could on 
like from his perspective in the game and then analyzing it on a broadcast. But also, like you mentioned, um, really underrated. And he was an underrated factor for Team Canada at the 2014 Sochi Olympics. So everyone was scratching their heads when he was selected onto the team, but it proved to be a difference maker. And he was successful on that team. And it obviously worked out. Gold medal. 100%. Yeah. And then just moving forward, um, in other news, the QMJHL uh, released a start date of October 1st. Uh, we've seen some other leagues push their, their dates uh, a little bit closer to December. Um, you know, I just, being being in Canada, we've seen, you know, the numbers in terms of the coronavirus and and, and Quebec was among the provinces that uh, maybe were a little bit higher at times. Um I'm just, yeah. you know, I, I just want to get your thoughts on why do you think we started or they're looking to start so early? I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about the details and, and uh, of the of these restarts and, and whether they're going to be fans and, and you know, all, all that's got to still be worked out. But I just feel like October 1st is such an early date with with every other league kind of pushing what they're, you know, where they're going to go and. Um, is this in? You think this is in response to Lafreniere saying that he doesn't want to go back to the QMJHL, or or is this just something that you know we want to get back on the ice and we want to get teams going? I think it may be the latter. I mean, whether or not they started on time or started later, Lafreniere is going to be in the NHL next season, no matter. Well, I guess knock on wood. Hopefully, the New York Rangers take him. Um, but I think it's more of a sense that, you know, they just maybe want to get things up and going. I mean, you saw how successful the NHL has been with their bubble. And because they really don't have any teams outside of Canada that they're just perfect on or they may be keen on saying, hey, we may be in a good spot right now. We have our own little bubble with the queue and they may be willing to go forward with it. I mean, you look at also some of the teams that are in Eastern Canada as well. They're reporting very few cases, which is really great to hear. But we got to keep that up from a health and safety perspective. We got to make sure that, you know, we can't get too complacent because this is a virus that shows no boundaries whatsoever. We're seeing second waves already happening in certain parts of the world. Maybe not as big, but it's a second wave regardless. And if they find the right plan to go through with the season and make sure that, you know, everything is under control. They have testing in place. It's kind of like what the NHL is doing right now. I think it'll be good. But from a fan standpoint, if they allow fans in, that might be a really big concern. Yeah, I think too, like I was part of the, um, I was part of the group that was a little iffy in terms of restarting any sort of sports this season. Uh, even even with the the, the NHL and the, the the bubble cities, I what you know I I knew they would go about it in the right way, make sure that they weren't going to put anybody at risk. But at the same time, you just didn't know what was going to happen, what the possibilities were. For sure, uh, you know how quickly this can spread, and um, you know I I was I was in the mindset that hey let's let's kind of shut it down, let's push it, let's uh, you know let's restart next season, um, and. You know, had we done that, I think I think you know there'd be a lot more different discussion in terms of start dates for some of these leagues. But yeah, I just I just feel with the QMJHL, you know, you've seen the the OHL come out, um, you've seen the AHL come out, shorten mm-hmm. their seasons. 
um, you know, put the put the start date back a little bit, and uh, it just caught me off guard that the QMJHL was going to come out and, and start a little bit early. And I think uh, you know, you you, you kind of nailed the you kind of nailed it there and said um, you know we've got to take this slow, be cautious, mm-hmm. be careful, and make sure that we don't fall into you know the same sort of response that we're seeing in other other areas of the world and um fingers crossed that it works out and uh sure. you know the qmjhl can kind of move forward absolutely going, going off of that um the playoffs have been unbelievable so far we've had a lot of uh fantastic games um you know what are your what are your thoughts on Vigneault's comments last night reg- regarding the Montreal yeah. Canadiens in the blowout playing their top power play unit. I was I was thinking about that and like obviously um, I've coached hockey in the past and you know anytime in your you're in the playoffs you want your best line out in a situation where it's a power play penalty kill final few minutes you want to get your best players on to either get a goal or protect the lead. I mean. Yeah, he had the top line out there for like later in the game, but to me, it just didn't seem like it really mattered. The Flyers were just, you know, a mess as a whole. Like they just got completely outplayed. All four lines in any situation, no matter what. And honestly, I just think that it kind of got a little bit blown out of proportion because we've seen instances where, you know, they, it is a five nothing game and then all of a sudden we still see the first power play unit come out yeah i can understand the frustration of seeing that like okay hey you're already winning take it easy but at the same time it's just like hey playoffs is playoffs you know no matter what the situation is we want to get the upper hand even even in that situation if it's like a five nothing game yeah i think my response to it is you know what you're you're in the nhl at this point you know um it's like you said. It's playoff time. If it's regular season and you're up five, four nothing, five nothing, sure, sit your top power play unit. You know, um, that being said, Montreal's top power play wasn't cl- clicking. At, you know, at, at maybe the rate that they were hoping for. Why not stick them out there and get some confidence? Right now, you're you're you want to get in the minds of your opponent. You want to take that that step in in the series. You want to you want to get the upper hand. Now you've got Vigneault frustrated. You've got Giroud frustrated. At this point, to me, Montreal's got the upper hand. They went oh, in there sure. and they and they they ticked off, you know, the the Flyers uh, staff. They've ticked off the Flyers players. And I mean, we saw the reactions of Konechny. We saw the reactions of uh, Carter Hart. We saw the reaction of of Giroud and Vigneault. And you know, there's there's a lot of frustration in that room right now. And this is a team that's supposed to be a top end team. Mm-hmm. Playing a team that you know shouldn't have even been in the playoffs per se. Yeah, um, and, it, and you know, and just I think at this point, if you're in the NHL, you've got to be. Don't let them score. If you don't want them to be up five nothing, if you don't want that top power play unit out there and, and and scoring goals, don't let them score. That's that's my my opinion. And also, like the Flyers are basically the number one team in this playoffs after you know the receding and the round robin. They're the number one team play like it they did not play as if like you know honestly it looked like the roles are reversed it looked like montreal was the number one seeded team and montreal and uh, philadelphia was the one that just played or eked their way in but yeah I w- i'm curious to see what the response is going to be from philly from this point because if they were that mad 
post game during the game when it was like five nothing, smashing sticks and all that. I'm curious to see how big of a jump they're going to get out in game number three, because that to yeah. me that's going to be a difference maker. And if they come out guns a blazing, then it's going to be an even more interesting series. Yeah, I think the the, the like I said, the frustration levels there, <clears throat> um, the rivalry is already there. Mm-hmm. I think we saw a little bit of the edginess at the end of the game. Um, I, I honestly think this game, game three, can go one of two ways. Uh, like you said, the Philadelphia Flyers can come out. They can put the beat down on, on Montreal. Um, they are the stronger team on paper. Um, or they could come out and their frustration can get the better of them. And Carey Price and the Montreal Canadiens can really drive this series home. And um, I think that's going to be a telling tale in Game 3. And, and, and I'm, I'm really interested to see where this can go. Because I think it's going to create a, an amazing rivalry uh, for, for next season. Oh, definitely. And also just a big shout out to Claude Julien for, you know, um, with uh, his uh, ch- uh, condition that he, I understand he had a stint placed um, after experiencing chest pain. We just want to make sure that he's doing well. And that response by Montreal, I think that had something to do with it. They were playing for Julien and they wanted to make a statement for him. And I think, 100%. you know, message received. 100%. You're talking about one of the more respected coaches in the league right now. And, you know, he's an old school mind, but he does it with respect for his players. And I think, um, you know, for a guy like that to uh, to be missing in a game like this, and especially at a time like this and in, in what, what's going on in the world, I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's everyone was a little worried. And we're glad that it's, uh, it's not uh, as serious as it can be. And, uh, you know, hopefully he has a full recovery and, and is back on that bench uh, sooner rather than later. For sure. Definitely. Another big game that we saw in the playoffs was game one of the Tampa-Columbus series. Now, going Ooh. back to last season, this, you know, Columbus came out of nowhere to just tear down this this regular season kingpin in, in Tampa Bay. Um you know, Corpusalo, 85 saves on 88 shots, five overtimes. Is this guy as good as he looks, or is it the defense that's playing in front of him? I mean, that contract that he has right now is looking like a major steal for Columbus. Um, honestly, I think it's a mix of both. I think that, you know, even in the Toronto series, when the defense was in front of Corpusalo, they they were just locking it down perfectly and made his job somewhat easier because all the shots that were, were that he was being faced was coming from the outside. Obviously you got a similar mentality with the lightning right now where they seem to be getting more to the middle of the ice and getting to the high danger area, but he seems to be on his game. So even when the defense is on their game for Columbus, Corpus Allo's there to have their back no matter what. And that those five overtime periods was, it was insane. There were so many times where I'm just like, okay, what's going to happen after every single rush? Who's going to like, you know, drop the ball first? And you really can't fault anyone on that game winning goal from points. Obviously, um, you know, fatigue is setting in. Gavrikov blocked a shot and he was stung pretty bad. It took him out of the play and that's what did it in. But overall, yeah, Corpus has just been a monster throughout the playoffs he stole the series against toronto or one of the main factors why he stole the series against toronto and he's keeping it up right now against tampa bay i'm just really in shock and awe about that right now yeah i think we're gonna have to get our uh, our fellow 
writer on here, Mark, and and discuss some of this uh, this goaltending that's coming out of Columbus because right now, I mean, Corpusalo, uh, Merzlikens, you know, e- even past them, you're talking about good goaltenders that are going to probably make a name for themselves in this league. And I think Corpusalo for for a few years there was playing behind Bobrovsky and you know maybe not getting the credit that he deserved. And mm-hmm. you know just looking at his numbers right now. Nine goals allowed in six playoff games so far, and that includes the play play in round. Um, yeah, a one twenty nine goals against, nine sixty two save percentage. This guy has seen close to two hundred and fifty shots, and man, he has two shutouts. Um, and, and you know what? Like this is this is the type of goaltender you need in in the playoffs. You need a guy that if your defense is going to break down, he's going to come up and he's going to steal a game for you. Otherwise, you know, you, you kind of fall into the same spot that I think Toronto did. And, and you know, maybe Anderson gave up a few, you know, weaker shots. And, mm-hmm. and that, uh, you know, that can burn you in, in the long run. Definitely. And and like you said, some of the, some, I mean, that Liam Foody goal, as good as it was on a bad angle, that's a goal that really can't go in. And I'm not fully pinning the blame on Frederick Anderson at this point right now because he was the reason why it probably went to all five games. Because he would, he, this was the moment, or this was the Frederick Anderson that we wanted to see consistently, and he did his job. It's just more so, you know, the issues outside of the crease right now that begs the question, okay, what are we going to do with Freddie right now? Is it on defense, or is it just him not, you know, being as consistent in elimination games where he seems to give up a really bad goal? Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, you know, I think it's, uh, it's a great transition to kind of get into – Game five of the Leafs uh, series, um, it seems like every year they push it to that final elimination game and let down Leafs Nation again and again and again. And, uh, you know, after such a great comeback in game four, um, yeah. almost like I would say historic comeback, um, you know, we're, we're kind of sitting here with our shoulders shrugged and uh, wondering what the heck happened. Um out again, not in the playoffs, sitting there and and kind of going over the season again and what what needs to be done in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, I'm listen, if it was like a still tight knit game where, you know, it was going back and forth, I could understand, you know, yeah, at least we were in it. We got beat out by, you know, a team that just had a little bit more desperation than we did. But the response in game five, like from the opening puck drop, I knew this wasn't going to look good at all. I mean, just looking at the overall series, um, it was at five on five, three goals, four, 10 against and a 197 shooting percentage. I mean, that's encompassing the whole entire series, but it looked like from in game five alone, the Leafs were dominating possession. They were dominating zone time. It's just Columbus got the bounces that wanted that they wanted to get their way and it it worked out in their favor it's just i don't understand why it keeps on happening right now you would think that after four seasons together after you know the series losses to boston and washington in their first year with the core assembled you would think that a lesson would kind of be learned and even through the regular season but i'm i steve dangle mentioned this on uh uh, I believe it was on a, uh, I can't remember the show on Sportsnet, but he mentioned that this hasn't been going on for just this postseason 
with their whole entire structure and play. It's been going on for the full year and even stemming before that. So this begs the question right now, do you do a major shakeup or do you just let it ride the course? Because something has to be done because this team, it's getting frustrating to see or be hopeful around them, but then see that result every single time. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think you you nailed it again. I think, you know, we've seen it all season long um, and, and well before this. I think, you know, f- trying to watch them throughout the regular season was frustrating and, in you know, does it defensive zone coverage and, and missed assignments and even just trying to get it out of their own end. I, they struggle so much with the transition game and, and the yeah. breakout. And I think that's the biggest problem right now is that they can't find a way to, to turn it around and, and if you turn it around and you find ways of transitioning your game into the offensive end, you that that benefits the game of guys like Matthews. It benefits the game, uh, you know, for guys like Marner and, um, sure. you know, and we talked about it last last episode with Marner in terms of being an outside player this season, and it almost seemed like he was shying away from any sort of physicality. And sure, he's mm-hmm. a smaller guy, but at some point you've got to be able to drive the net. And he admitted himself he's got to be more of a selfish player. Yeah. Things are not getting done. And that first line, I mean, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, they were put together for most of the game in game five again. Mm-hmm. They were they were driving the Leafs game. They were getting the opportunities, um, getting the shots on net. Uh, but a lot of it was from the outside still. And that's yeah. that's where I think, you know, they they needed to find a way to get to the inside, get those those shots on net, get those oppor- in close opportunities, those high danger uh, scoring chances. And, uh, you know, your game kind of adapts from there. And, you know, putting those three together, it also kind of had a ripple effect throughout the rest of the Leafs lineup. Mm-hmm. You had a, a second line of Hyman, Kapanen, and uh, Nylander. And, man, Nylander looked bad. Um, yeah. He, lo- he looked bad. And, I, and you know what, I don't want to be one of those guys to, to sort of jump on Nylander. I think he gets takes a lot of flack for his game. Um, sure. And maybe he has a bit of an underrated game, but he looked bad in game two. Kapanen looked bad in game two. Hyman mm-hmm. just looked out of place um, in game two, or sorry, in game in game five. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that that second line just did not click whatsoever. It seemed like all, f- all well, all three lines, because it seemed no matter what, like you know, momentum the Matthews, Tavares, and Marner line would get. It would just fall flat right after that. And I could understand Keith's notion or like reasoning going to his top three guys to stack up on a first line. I get that. But also that just showed the weakness of like the depth of the scoring right after that. I mean, Nylander on center in the first in like a crucial game. I'm not saying that he's a bad center, but he just didn't look. He hasn't played much center at all this year where he's always been on the wing. But um, it just, yeah, from Kapanen, Nylander, Hyman, I was kind of really shocked because I would I would have thought that, you know, he would be that, you know, engine going into the corners, getting some sort of forecheck set up, finding, uh, you know, Marner to try and find Matthews or vice versa. It nothing worked out for any of them. And again, that begs the question what happens now in this offseason. I know Dubas has been adamant on saying that he wants to keep the core intact, but I don't know. 
I, I, I just don't know. It makes it a lot tougher when your your top line of uh, Tavares, Matthews, and Marner are making thirty four million plus. Mm-hmm. You know that's 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 the majority of your of your uh, salary cap, and it's you know it's not going anywhere. It's not going up for us. So, um, no, for sure. You know, I think I think they're gonna have to really look at that. And and if that's the case, then you're gonna see guys like Johnson. You're gonna see guys like Kapanen, even even Nylander, that uh, you know won't be a part of this core if you want to keep those three. And at this point in time, he says, you know, Dubas says Marner's, you know, not going anywhere. He's, yeah. He has no intention of trading him, not, none whatsoever. Um, you know, it, it just, they have to find some way of bringing somebody in that's going to change the mentality of this team. And maybe it's just about getting these young guys to mature. We forget that some of these guys are still in their early 20s. For but sure. this yeah. this is their prime right now. This is when the Leafs can put together a few good playoff runs and and make some noise. And you know, first round exits just aren't cutting it anymore. Yeah, I'm looking at like some of the comments that even Austin Matthews said, and I'm looking at you know an article written by Matt Larkin from the Hockey News. Shout out to Matt for you know writing a good in depth piece on you know what changes need to come so that the Leafs can escape from their first round hell. Um, Matthews said having a good season or regular season isn't going to cut it anymore. We've got to figure out the playoffs, figure out how to get out of the first round four years in a row. It's pretty frustrating and a little embarrassing as well. That's kind of the, that's the emotion that you want to see from one of your star players, because right now, yeah, four seasons in enough is enough. I, I mean, I could sympathize with him because how many, like as fans or like, as you know, uh, people that have been following the game for so long, we want to see this team succeed. Like what, not necessarily that we're tired of like, you know, constantly criticizing them, but you know, we want to, we wanted to taste that glory too, at some point, you know, since 67, that's, that's a pretty damn long time to like, you know, be optimistic about stuff right now. And when we get knocked out of like, not necessarily a first round, but like a playing round that just rubs more salt into the room, into the wound than anything else. Yeah, and I, you know, like, yeah, that's that's that was one of the hardest things was just everybody talking about how you know it wasn't even playoffs, it wasn't even playoffs, but it was a playoff mentality, and yeah, I think Columbus just has it down. They know what they're doing. They have, they have that maturity. They have that mentality, and and I honestly believe that, you know, for for a guy like Matthews, he he's still he's still maturing in his game, the way that he plays the defensive end. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw a little bit more physicality in the five-game series uh, from him, um, but we need that to kind of resonate throughout the entire lineup. And, yeah. you know, um, I, I, I understand the signing of Tavares, but I'm starting to wonder, you know, two seasons in, is Tavares the guy? Is Tavares the guy that was supposed to get you over over the hump? Because if he is... You know, you're not looking in the right direction right now. Oh, I just think, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not taking anything away from Tavares' game. What he's done in Toronto so far has been what's expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but at a certain point, you need those leaders. You need those guys that have been around the league for long enough to to not just be a leader, but to, to be that ve- veteran mentality, to remind the guys that, hey, you're not going to get a shot at this year in and year out. This is not something that's going to come by come by easy. And, you know, after your 20-year career, you know, you're going to be sitting there with four and five rings. This is, you know, there's a lot more parity in the league these days. And, and you know, you might only get one shot at it. 
So, you know, for guys like Matthews, Marner, Nylander, all these young guys, you know, you're you're talking about four seasons of, of first round or play in exits and you start to wonder how many more opportunities are these guys going to get, mm-hmm. even as a core. Somewhere something's got to give, and uh, right now they don't have the de- defense for it. They don't, maybe don't have the goaltending for it. Um, but you know something's got to give, and and Dubas has got to find a way. Otherwise, he's going to be the next one on the chopping block, and I don't think he wants that either. Uh, it was reported on TSN on August twelfth that eliminated teams can start to make trades. Now is the time to try and wheel and deal with either a team that's eliminated or wait until you see what happens after the first round because there are some interesting names that they could even try and acquire if a team gets ousted in the first round. Um, I know I wrote an article about, you know, um, three Maple Leafs that are going to be under pressure and Tavares was one of them. So it's, it's kind of funny how, you know, you brought him up because psychological aspect or the mental aspect of being a hometown boy coming up being a captain of the team that's a lot of pressure for a guy and i'm hoping he could bounce back i think maybe it was just an off season for him but you know what he's got to bounce back and i'm just yeah change needs to happen in some capacity whether it's you know dealing a marner or nylander or finding other pieces to acquire help on the back end or, you know, trying to get into the goaltending market, see who's available there. It seems like we're jumping around with like a lot of talking points because there's a lot to talk about because holy, there's a lot to talk about right now. And it's, I'm just hoping that, you know, I had the utmost faith in Dubas. I always have, but some of the decisions he's made, some of the trades he's made are like, you know, um, transactions he's done it has been a big question mark and let's just hope he gets it on track because he is he is a smart hockey mind i just hope that you know if he does another trade like the cadre trade like you said that's that could be a big big issue for him yeah and uh you know like you said i think there, there's so many talking points right now because there's so many questions um this is if this was the first time this happened, you know, we'd we'd kind of be focusing on in on you know certain things, but I think right now there's just so many so many questions surrounding the team that it it makes it difficult to really pinpoint what's mm-hmm. wrong, what's wrong, where's where's your nucleus, where's your where's your problems that are coming out out from that nucleus, and, and I think I think we're having a lot of trouble in terms of pinpointing where to start mm-hmm. and I think maybe that's the same thing that Dubas is going through right now is you know I've put together this this core um I'm attached to this core and you know I don't want to I don't want to lose the talented players that I have but at a certain point you have to move something to get something and I just I you know you talked about the cadre trade and I, you know, I wrote a I wrote a piece on, yeah. on the hockey writers and um, great piece, by the way, check it out. I appreciate that. And, and just talking about uh, just talking about, you know, that's what the, the least were missing was cadre's fire. And man, I, I gotta say, I took, I took some flag for it because the last two 
playoff series that Kadri played in, um, you know, he was suspended both times for questionable hits against the Boston Bruins. And anybody who watched those series understands that the Toronto-Boston hate for each other is mm-hmm. something that is immeasurable. You you simply cannot put it on paper how much these two teams hate each other. Um, from Marshawn licking Komarov to, you know, whatever else has happened. And, you know, Kadri's two suspensions, Char's hit, uh, or sorry, DeBrus hit on Marlowe last, last uh, playoff series. Yeah. Um, you know, the hate that exists between these two franchises is just something something else. I mean, it's fun to watch from the outside, but to be a part of it, you know, the wires cross sometimes. And, and that's where my frustration with some of the comments um, coming back is, you know, everyone was saying that what what was the point of having Kadri in the lineup if he's just going to go out there, play two games, and get suspended? Yeah. So my question in response is, what was the point of having Tyson Berry out there who essentially was invisible for the five games against the Columbus Blue Jackets? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, you know, I look at Kadri right now playing for for Colorado. And, you know, here's a 20, 29-year-old veteran who's been in the league already um, for quite some time. Um, you know, he's he's scored 30 goals multiple times in the regular season. Um, he's that nitty-gritty kind of player, that sandpaper guy um, that's going to go out there and he's going to battle. And, and, you know, I, I don't remember – I don't know if you remember this uh, – I think it was a couple of years ago where, you know, overtime game against Edmonton and he back checked against uh, Connor McDavid yeah. and, and, and ended up stealing the puck and going down and scoring the, the overtime winner. And man, that's, that's what the Leafs are missing is that fire yeah. that, that, Hey, I'm going to do anything. I'm going to get under the skin of these guys. I'm going to claw my way into each and every opponent's mind until they just don't know what to do with me anymore. And yeah. I'm going to go out there and get those points. I'm going to play that physical game. I'm going to be in front of the net, get to those grimy areas. You know, we always talked about garbage goals back in like the, the 90s, garbage goals. Everything was a garbage goal in front of the net. Um, you know, Thomas Holmstrom was the king of, of, of garbage goals. And, and Kadri was that for the Leafs for, for so many years. And, you know, right now for, for Colorado, he's got two game-winning goals uh, and, and assisted on a game-winner last yesterday. So, I mean, this is a guy who's going to be there um, each and every night and, and put his body on the line to try and get things done. And, you know, when he was in Toronto, there was a lot of people that kind of criticized him for his play, criticized him for holding out. And I think there was a lot of, a lot of you know, sour feelings in terms of who Kadri was as a player, but... Um, you know, I got to watch him a little bit in London and, uh, you know, this guy, this guy is a heart and soul guy. And I think, I think the Leafs really miss that, that kind of mentality, that kind of player, um, in their, in their, in their lineup and, you know, criticize, criticize the thought process if you want. But I, I think, you know, I think you're wrong. I think anybody who says that he was not valuable to this lineup is dead wrong. No, a hundred, a hundred percent. I, Totally agree with your assessment of everything right there. And the ironic thing is they're talking about like adding, you know, grit, sandpaper. That's why they brought a guy like Kyle Clifford in. They already had that with Kadri and he brings a more offensive game than Clifford. I'm not, you know, discrediting what 
uh, Clifford could bring. It's just you had a Kyle Clifford, but a more offensive version of him. And the fact that you brought up, like, you know, oh, how, what's the point of having Kadri on here? Well, what was the point of having Tyson Berry on here? That was, a, that was a very valid point. Guy was on the top power play unit, and he struggled mightily, especially during the series right now, to try and get anything going on the offense. He even got replaced by Riley, which I think should have been, you know, that's Riley's spot to begin with. Um, going on top of that is just having someone like Kadri is going to be the difference maker in the playoffs. And we, that, that is something that we desperately missed. And I'm, I honestly, like you said, people are always going to complain about what he did in the playoffs, the two suspensions. Yeah. I was one of those people. I'm not going to lie. It sucked. But if you see what happened before then, you could understand Kadri's, you know, ability to try and go and make a statement obviously he shouldn't have like you know got a stick up high i believe it was on debrusques at one point and everything that happened that led to Kadri's suspension stems to an incident where it should have been a penalty beforehand and that's where i think where you know the frustration and the anger built up that he's just like you know what screw this enough is enough i'm going to take matters into my own hands whether it was obviously it was wrong with how he responded but that's the fire that you need. Obviously, he could have gone about it a better a better way. But again, that's something that you know teams need in the playoffs. And I'm my question is this: We saw Kadri play under Babcock. We see him play under a coach with uh, uh, Jared Bednar right now. He's thriving in the system. I want to see what Kadri could have brought if he played under Sheldon Keefe. Because I think he would have been a player that Sheldon Keefe would have loved to have had on, on his team. Played the same kind of game as Sheldon Keefe. Sheldon Keefe played a, played a hard-nosed, frustrating game when he played back in the day as well. So, I mean, I, 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 think, I think for me, um, you know, yeah, you went out and got a guy like Clifford, but you didn't play him. Mm-hmm. Playing him, set, yeah, he's not, he's not going to be as offensive as... as as Kadri was, but you stick him on the second line and he, he gets some loose pucks. He'll go into the corners. He'll be your guy that goes in the corners, gets the puck for those talented guys that are going to go out there and score the goals. And I, I think, you know, the mentality in the game today is that you just don't, you don't put those guys up on the, on the first and second line because they're not going to, they're not going to get you points, but you know what? A, a secondary assist is going to do just as much as a, as a goal. Absolutely. And I think one, I, I honestly, if the Leafs want to try and find a mold to be, obviously, you know, you're a more offensive version of Columbus. Obviously, you don't have the defense, but you should have tried to uh, try to aspire to be something like Columbus, who's always constantly going in, no matter who's on which line. It's always a four line effort. If you want an even better, better comparable, the Carolina Hurricanes, they got a solid top six unit and their top line is probably one of the most exciting lines to watch in this playoffs right now but they roll all four lines there's always an effort and a sense of urgency every single time they're on the ice they don't care if they don't have the puck they're going after it you need to show that urgency at the beginning of next season otherwise you know what now the time if you want to put your money where your mouth is it's the perfect opportunity to do it yeah i think uh you know, 
we talked a lot about what went wrong and what the Leafs need, but you know, you had a, you had a good piece that came out recently in, in um, what the Leafs need to do in the off season. Mm-hmm. And I know we touched on a little bit with, with Anderson's fate and uh, you know, where, where the Leafs go from there in goaltending um, defense needs to be addressed. That's, you know, that's been a kind of a storyline for, for a number of years, but <laughs> I want to talk to you about the players need to be held accountable. And it kind of goes back to this whole idea of, you know, um, the players need to mature. At some point, you've got this young core, they need to mature. What are you seeing that needs to be done for these players to understand what, you know, year in and year out, where they're going? Um, I think. Well, I think just the last comment that I make, put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, you could talk the talk and say, yeah, you know, I wasn't that great. I didn't show up in game one. I didn't show up in the rest of the series. You know, it's frustrating to not be this, to play the way that we're supposed to. It's time to put your money. Again, I'm going to reiterate this. It's time to put your money where your mouth is. Show that you will care and that you want to win. I know that they say that they do, but on the ice, it doesn't look like anything at all. And we saw that in game five. We saw no will to win whatsoever in a do or die game. And that's what's frustrating because, yeah, we have the skill, but the mentality just isn't there. And I I even wrote, they talk about learning their lessons after poor losses and playoff failures. They talk about being better, yet they keep on finding the same mistakes to get in this position. Enough is enough. I'm pretty, I I mean, let's face it. If I was in that position, I wouldn't want to, you know, had that cloud over me every single time. I'm going to go out there and do it. I mean, they've had too many lessons and too many opportunities for this to sink in, and it hasn't. And that's and that, for me, is the most frustrating part of it. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, now we're kind of at a point where they've got a long, long off-season. Well, not really a long off-season, a shortened off-season. Whatever, whatever the off-season is considered nowadays. Yeah, to, to kind of think about things and reevaluate and find those pieces that we're missing once again this year and and try and put things back together before, you know, it's kind of like that Humpty Dumpty mentality where, you know, you've fallen off the wall again and now it's time to try and put things back together. And I think the Leafs have a lot of work to do. Um, Each one of them should, like you said, be held accountable, look at themselves in the mirror and and ask themselves, you know, is this year going to be any better than the last? Mm -hmm. Because for me, they showed glimpses of effort in in the five game series, but in game five, I just aside from that top line, I did I didn't see it. I didn't see that effort. I didn't see that that drive to win. And when it comes to playoffs, you you have to bear down. You have to put your mind to it, and you know you want you have to want to get it done. Yeah, and it's all about consistency. I mean, yeah, they could, yeah, they're consistent at like getting all the offense, but it seems like whenever the puck is not near them, they just, you know, seem to, okay, I'm going to let the puck come to me. You can't do that in this day and age. I'm looking at Colorado. I'm looking at Carolina. I'm looking at uh, Tampa, Boston. They all go for the puck. They don't care if they're any, or like some players, they, do, they may not care if they're like, you know, a high caliber player or whatever. They're going out there and they're doing their job. I mean, I saw like the fourth line like dominate puck possession against uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Obviously, you know, five OTs, you're going to be fatigued, but all four lines were rolling in like eight periods of hockey. 
if they can do that in eight periods, Toronto can sure as hell just a regular 60-minute game and get the W. Well, it's about, you know, like like you said, you got to take the hits to make the plays. And uh, there's far too many Leafs that try to shy away from that physical game. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's that small mentality. But in the end, you got to you got to take the hits to make the plays. And, you know, I kind of want to roll into Vancouver's game last last night in in talking about that. You know, Quinn Hughes made the play to get uh, to get the puck up to Bo Horvat, who scored the overtime winner. Um, in, in yet another exciting series in this in this yeah. kind of compounded playoffs, um, but Vancouver, and I'm going to add a little segment to our our episode here. I'm going to call it the quarantine question. Um, good segment. Yeah, yeah, good segment. <laughs> quarantine question. Um, JT Miller's goal, offside or not offside? See, I know we were discussing this previously before we got on the show. Um, it What's considered an offside anymore? Like, you don't know what's considered offside. Even if it seems like it's offside, it's not offside. If it's not offside, it is offside. But I didn't. I completely forgot that that game was on because I'm only used to four games, not five. But when I saw the replay of that, his foot was over the line, but his back foot was in the air. I think that's where people are getting confused or like questioning, like, is the foot in the air considered onside or off? Because usually when we see players that are onside, they drag their foot on the ice to show that, hey, I'm still technically onside. My foot is outside of the blue line. It was in the air. He was in before the puck. I don't think it really matters if your if your foot is in the air. If you're over the blue line, you're over the blue line. Like if you're in before the puck, I, I still think it's offside. Yeah, so as of right now, the rule is that if your foot is off the ice above the blue line, it's still considered offside because you are not outside of the the oppose or the offensive zone. Yeah. Um, for me, the same way as there is with goaltender interference, I think these calls right now are far too gray in terms of interpretation. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and that's where. I would like to see the coaches challenge go out the window, the instant replay go out the window because I think there's too much gray area until you can lock it down, make it black or white. You need to get rid of these rules to me. His foot. Yes. Was over the blue line at the same time. The puck was going over the ice or going over the blue line as he entered the zone Mm. to me. I think that's a good goal. There was no way anybody was stopping him. He came out of the box. He had a clear-cut opportunity at the net. An unbelievable move on the breakaway. Unbelievable goal. I'm not a Vancouver fan, but that, to me, was a beautiful goal that, you know, you almost get stolen away from you because there's this this gray area of, hey, does the blue line go from ice to, to ceiling? Should it go ice to ceiling? To me, when I, I watched it, and I, I backed it up, I watched it a few times, and he entered the zone as the puck entered the zone, almost simultaneously with his back foot still in the air. If he drags that foot, we don't see that goal. Because that is true. he slows himself down, the defense gets back, sticks in the hands, probably uncalled because that's the way that the NHL rolls now. Um, we don't call sticks in the hands most of the time. 
Um, and uh, I think we we don't see that goal. And I think that's where there needs to be some discussion in terms of where do we draw the line in terms of offside. For sure. I For think sure. if and you're blatantly offside, 100%, we got to call it. That being said, I think a goal like that, you've just robbed the fans. You've just robbed JT Miller of, of a highlight real goal in the, in what could have been a game changing call. Mm-hmm. No. And I, I, I totally agree with you there. I mean, there needs to be some sort of, you know, consistency with the calls. And I understand why we, like you said, you want to get rid of the video review, get rid of, you know, the coaches challenge and everything. The only reason why it's there is because the, re- the officiating to begin with was with all those inconsistent calls. And, to me, the, the NHL, they really need to address um, their officiating. They need to be more concrete with the rules. And, again, something something like that, again, it, it could you're going to have arguments for both sides, whether if it is offside or it isn't. But at least just find some sort of common ground because it's happening way too often. And, like you said, goaltending, uh, goal, goalie interference is another one of those calls where it just needs to be concrete. Not, none of this, oh, yeah, you know, he was outside of the blue paint or, you know, his foot was in the crease, the puck was behind or, you know, whatever excuse you could throw out there. Just find some consistency because, like you said, it, it, it would have been a really nice goal. Yeah. And, right and now. No, no, ulti- continue, continue. Sorry, I was just going to say, ultimately, it could have been a game-changing call. I mean, that was a one-goal game in overtime and – you know that goal would have put them up two nothing. I mean, they eventually went up two nothing, but you know it could have it could have changed the outcome of the game. And and you know, hey, Canada hasn't seen a Stanley Cup since '94. Yeah. So, you know, I I think uh, I think it's time to 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 look at those calls and revisit, uh, like you said, revisit them, and see if we can make it so that's a black and white black and white call rather than uh you know so much gray area i mean i i picked st louis to win that series i am definitely regret regretting that pick right now i picked new york to beat carolina i regretted that pick i'm so regretting this pick right now because the vancouver canucks are probably the best chance to win the stanley cup out of the canadian teams this year and if they do I they got an exciting core to do it. I I think that they could push for it and surprise a lot of teams. Let's just hope they don't see Boston in the Stanley Cup final. That's all. That that will be um yeah that 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 will not be fun at all. <laughs> well, with that with that uh, with that uh, discussion we just had, I'm going to post that to our our Twitter um and and let's get a poll going. I want to see how many people believe that was an offside. I want to see how many people thought that, you know, JT Miller's goal should have counted um, and, and get the discussion going. I, you know, let's see, let's see what kind of thought process we get from other fans, because I think, you know, it's definitely a conversation that needs to be had. And, and you and I are kind of sitting on, you know, we're sitting in the same spot a little bit. There's a, that middle ground where I think, you know, some of us agree with it. Some of us don't. There's little aspects of the goal that we we thought were, you know, maybe, Maybe something that should have been called offside. I, you know, I don't know. I think we need to get the discussion going, though. For sure. And I know, uh, seeing Mark's uh, comment on Twitter, we got to ditch the skate in the air, air, uh, air rule soon, because it just seems like 
if the skate is in the air at that point as well, if one foot is over the line, it's still technically one foot is inside the offensive zone, one foot is outside. Kind of yeah, like no, the same thing where if you're like threading the line or like where one foot is on one side, one foot is on the other, you're like stretching your back leg to try and stay onside. Whether if it's in the air or not, you're still technically could be onside. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. So with that said, Peter, do you have anything else you wanted to talk about for episode two here? Um, I also just want to, like, looking at, like, Chris Tanev right now on Vancouver, honestly, I, I whether he's going to sign in Vancouver or not still remains to be seen. He's someone I would love to see in a Toronto Maple Leaf uniform. I hope, because the way that he played last night is the type of shutdown D-man that can eat minutes that Toronto was looking for. And we know that he can shoot the puck. We saw a game-winning goal in the playing round that was, you know, he's got a shot. I, he fits the bill with that. If there is someone that Toronto should sign in the offseason, I'm looking at Chris Tanev. I couldn't agree with you more. And again, last night, you mentioned his shooting. Again, last night, he just missed the the uh, the far side of the cage in, in overtime that could have, you know, ended the game earlier than Bo Horvat. And he's got that sneaky shot from the line, keeps it low, keeps it, you know, within tipping distance. And uh, just he gets it through. And I think that's the biggest thing that we don't see from a lot of Leaf de- defensemen right now mm-hmm. is they shoot it right into the shin pads. We need to see guys that are going to find a way to get through. And and I, I think you're spot on with Tanev. Uh, I think it'd be a great signing for Toronto. And I think it's a guy that can definitely eat up minutes and, and play, a, play a big role for the Leafs. I'm, I'm just going to say this. Our fellow Canucks writer, Matthew Zader, probably will not like me saying that. Uh, because I know he pretty, sh- I'm pretty sure he would want to keep Tanev in the fold as well with, you know, the way that they're playing right now with Quinn Hughes and everything. So, sorry, Matt. Yeah, sorry, Matt. Uh, and if you're listening, Kyle Dubas, uh, let's go out there and get Tanev. Good, good little subtle comment right there. I really do like that. Um, other than that, though, uh, Peter, tell tell our listeners where they can find you on on Twitter and uh, you know what's what's coming to the hockey writers from from your hands. Um. So yeah, you could follow me on Twitter at p b a r a c c h i n i. I know it's a really long last name. I apologize for that. I had no control over it. Um. But yeah, I got something in the works of like another off season piece. Like I already talked about like what they could do with you know the end of year banter after what happened after game five. I recently re- am reposting a free agent piece, which is where I got um. I was looking at Chris Tanev as well, but I'm also looking at trade possibilities at who they could try and go after. Realistic, one maybe, you know, a bit of a far stretch, but there's still a lot of options. Whether you trade a Marner or Nylander, you still have pieces to try and get that player as well. So be on the lookout for that. Beautiful. Very excited. Um, You know, you're delving into a lot of the prospect uh, talk as well, which is great. Uh, A lot of draft talk. Um, definitely check out Peter's stuff. Uh, you can find me, Andrew, at uh, at Andrew G. Forbes on Twitter. Um, you can also check out our show's podcast, uh, uh, Twitter at Sticks in the Six uh, Pod on Twitter. Six is spelt with the number six, I-X. 
Um, you can also find us at Apple Tunes, or sorry, Apple Tunes. Huh. Early Apple mornings. Tunes. Apple Tunes. Uh, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, subscribe, download, listen, rate us, give us com- some comments, interact with us online. We love the interaction. We want to talk hockey. Uh, the off season's here. We don't have the Leafs to watch anymore, so we have got nothing but time. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, look forward to talking next week and hopefully getting some guests on soon, Peter. Absolutely, looking forward to that as well. All right, folks, have a great night. Enjoy your week, and we will talk to you next week. Have a good one.